today's film uh, was chosen by Fernando. Yeah. Can you, can you introduce it to us, Fernando? Well, um, I have a friend, Oswaldo, thank you very much for recommending this film, um, <laughs> who has been recommending some films that I've enjoyed, and he said, well, this one is also really good. So I was like, well, if he thinks it's good, it's probably because it is. Uh, so I guess I'll just choose it. Mm, and then I'm not sure what to think about it. Isn't what do you all think about it? I'm pretty torn on it. Really? Mm. Oh. Yeah, I wasn't wasn't sure at all. I th- I think I liked it. It didn't horribly offend me or anything, but it it also wasn't. Yeah, what wasn't amazing in some other ways. I yeah, it was. I was on edge a bit the whole time because I couldn't figure out where it was going. And now that it's over, I think I still didn't quite figure it out. It it seemed like a really interesting piece of art that possibly didn't result in a a really good watchable film. Hmm. Right. That was my point of view, Laura. Interesting. Uh, oh yeah, I really liked it. I thought it was great. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I thought it was far far better than Requiem for a Dream. I have to say. Um, yeah. So yeah, I enjoyed so one, it. Enjoyed it all the way through, and then at the end, I was like, "Great, well, fab, love that." All right. Wow. It was your point of view. I was particularly interested in hearing because of all the stuff we've talked about. Yeah, the, I thought, these kinds of films as well, the subject matter. It definitely wasn't perfect, but I thought it it really. I thought it did well. I thought I I didn't find it offensive or I wouldn't pick it apart for being like horrendously stigmatizing or anything, which I, yep. you know, I felt with Requiem for a Dream was really just awful. Not awful. Like, I think it was a good film, but um, I, yeah, I thought this was a good film and I thought it did it really well. I thought it told the story very well. Okay. Um, yeah. Claire, what did you think? I think I probably agree with Michael. Mm. I found it very difficult to get a handle on the narrative, I found the tone changed from scene to scene and that sort of unsettled me. I never really got into the story because of that. Um, I think, yeah, I think there was a good film in there, but I think I just lost the thread a few times. Mm. I see. That makes sense. What did you it think? It was probably added? a little bit too slow, I think, at times. And by at times, I meant mm. all the film, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was quite a slow burn, wasn't it? It just was very methodically moved through these different scenes in different locations and characters. I like that. Okay. Um, but yeah, I thought it had a really purposeful kind of. I thought it was really structured. It was really neatly crafted, like with a lot of purpose and th- there was no real chaos. It was all very orderly. Like I saw what, they, what I think they were trying to do with each part. Oh, what what were they trying to do? Well, okay. Strap in for a bit. Okay. <laughs> Got a lot of notes. This is what I think it was trying to do. It was trying to, I think it's based on a book. I think it's based on a book that gives this kind of portrayal of what life is like as a drug user in America. So for me, it it felt a lot like a book. Um, I can't remember what it is now. Is it Junkie? That would make sense because Mm -hmm. William Burroughs wrote it and William Burroughs Ah, was in the film. Yeah. Yeah, I I think it might have 
so at the start, that's why the tone thing confused me because the tone was very much like this, like that book. Um, and it was quite harrowing. Mm. Not harrowing, but mm, less, uh, didn't have any jokes in it, put it mm. that way. <laughs> so, yeah. This had a few funny things. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, this I, surprised me about being as light as it was. There was never yeah. really a moment of like, like with Requiem for a Dream where everything just spirals and spirals and it's so full of despair and you just end yeah. it being like, what's life? It's awful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think this, it had its like obviously dark moments, but it was mostly carried through with a kind of, that kind of methodical, just seeing things unfold, but nothing, I don't know. This always happens. I did I'll pencil in time to gather my thoughts a bit better. <laughs> oh, did you finish watching this like ten minutes ago? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I meant to watch it yesterday, but I didn't have time. Ago. <laughs> <laughs> I had five minutes. I went and got myself a glass of water and then settled down. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, so I got better with that. Anyway, so, this is what I think they were doing. Right. Right. We begin. So I think it's trying to give an intimate portrait of, like I said, life as a drug user, which is that you begin very close to the main characters and you spiral outwards into other kind of, in a sort of, to other domains and other kind of characters that impact on their life. So we begin, it sets it up nicely with the theft. We're instantly introduced into their group dynamics. Um, So we see a kind of argument about how they're going to distribute the drugs. It shows us their hierarchy, their place within the group. Um, and then it gives us, we go into them actually using the drugs. Um, then we meet another drug user who's also a kind of low level dealer. Um, then it gives us a kind of portrayal of their romantic relationships. So we're into the romance side, which is that there's, it's, it's kind of that strained sexuality where there's, you know, they're, they're mismatched a bit. There's kind of tension within the group there. Um, more drug use. And then we see the police relationships. So we're expanding outside the group a bit there. Um, with that first interaction with the police where they storm in on them. Then we go to their family relationships where he meets his mother um, and things like that. So we see that kind of, again, we're going outside of their initial location. We're starting to see their, their family. So it's this kind of very logical progression through these different kind of domains of life from romantic police, family, other drug users. We have a brief talk about pets. Um, Then we see the police corruption where they're plotting how they can kind of get them. They plant drugs on them and things like that. Then we see their neighborly relationships, which is this the old lady, the big guy, where they're kind of, they're mocking them. They're being very sneaky, but kind of ingenious about how to thwart the police. Then we get this insight into the police brutality, where they're getting beaten up by the police. And that takes us to halfway through the film, where we've kind of gone through all these different domains of life and relationships and things like that. And then there's, I think there's a kind of shift where we progress less away from relationships and more to kind of incidents, things that are naturally going to kind of occur and happen within their life, which is that we see more more of the theft, which is very an opportunistic kind of theft where they see that window open. Um, and then there's that leads to a, a much bigger, more ambitious, but very poorly planned theft where they go to the hospital and there's that kind of caper with the, the hospital. Then there's the death from overdose of Nadine, which is also I'm sure there's a lot of symbolism there that we can get into. But then there's this kind of turning point, but it's been accumulating all the way through where he begins his methadone program and we start to see the rhythm of this life in the system and things like that, which again, we can go back into, but then, um, but yeah, he gets a job. He starts to, he intervenes within, within a drug sort of someone in drug debts, things like that. Um, 
Diane visits again. There's this return of his sexuality as we see, but then there's this, it ends with this violent attack where this past life is just coming back on him and trying to drag him back in. And it all ends with a contrast, which is that the neighbor is now kindly and the police officer is now kindly, which is very contrasted with the brutality of earlier. And then it ends. And that's what I think it was doing. It was that very neat structure of progressing through all of these different aspects of life with relationships and with incidents. Those are my thoughts. Okay. Wow. Thank you for listening. Perfect. That took a while. My apologies. No, great <laughs> stuff. So film of two acts where the first one is establishing who these people are and what world mm. they live in. Mm-hmm. And the second act is progressing that, exploring it and turning things on their head. Yes. Okay. Yeah, you know, that's a good... That I can see more structure to it though. It, when I was watching it, I was sort of thinking, this is meandering a bit. Where the hell is this going? Mm. And then it just sort of ends when, <laughs> you know, we don't know whether he's going to die or not. Um <laughs> But no, and with that foreshadow that at the start, there was something sort of neatly symmetrical about it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, it did kind of bookend with that, yeah, that, that kind of mirror where you see this joyful kind of where they're all cavorting in the underpass sort of thing. And it's very hard day's night sort of style of filming. <laughs> And then it ends on that as well, where there's this also kind of like question of joy versus despair sort of thing. Yeah, I was terrified when they had that, like, yeah, artsy, low-quality camera, uh, people <laughs> hiding behind yeah. like, beams and stuff. I thought, oh, fuck, this is going to be song to song again, isn't it? <laughs> it's just going to be meaningless, like, aesthetic shots that don't really do anything of people smiling and close up as like people's midriffs and stuff but i was very glad to see that they just did that for (laughs) like a minute at the start and a minute at the end and it that set the tone nicely that was good um but yeah i i i see what you're saying there you're right that it explores things quite nicely and would would you say it was a a fair representation of life as an addict, as you understand it. I I think so. For a for a in an I wouldn't try and overly generalize it, but but mm. yeah, I think that's very. I think it was very realistic. It seemed to be very accurate in places. There are things I think it was missing a little bit, and things that could maybe do with being added in. But there are also that some of the things that it was missing, I think, are often included in these kind of films and end up really stigmatizing drug. You know, it kind of skipped over a bit of stuff that was more harder kind of more gritty despairing things like we didn't really see anyone go into like terrible withdrawal mm. which was interesting i thought that would be part of it you know there was no they were real good at what they did they were really good at what they did yeah but you know and then he just very smoothly transitioned to methadone which is interesting as well um yeah how hard is it to because obviously methadone is there to to aid the transition away from mm-hmm. using heroin and stuff. Is it, does it make it a lot easier or is it? It's supposed to be, it depends on um, your prescriber. So you're meant to prescribe enough that you don't feel any sort of withdrawal, which makes it quite easy. But the problem is that it becomes very difficult to stick to because there's no, from from what I kind of gather, there's no real pleasure afforded in methadone. 
it doesn't really tackle any of the reasons why a person would use drugs in the first place. Okay. You know, like it's just, and then everything becomes very, a different kind of routine, which becomes quite jarring, I think, to jump across to, which you see, which again, it's a bit different in this film because in this film they had a lot of order. It was very precise. I suppose not. I suppose there was a lot of opportunism as well, but it wasn't chaotic in any sense. You know, there wasn't a sense of real things were getting out of hand or getting out of control apart from when Nadine died. But again, that wasn't really, it didn't feel like it was part of that that had to happen or anything that felt like an accident. Mm. Um, so, so this is one thing I thought was interesting and you saying that it's in two parts, I think kind of fits in quite nicely was just the boredom in the first half. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, just sitting around, you know, like you take your hit and then it's not like they were getting up and doing anything. It didn't look very fun. Mm. Um, but as you say, it wasn't chaotic. It was just this this routine of, you know, you use your mm-hmm. stuff until you need to find more kind of thing. Um, and then it was a different routine in the end. It was get up, go to mm-hmm. work buy enough groceries to see you through to the next day, go to the meeting, come back, go to sleep, get up for work again. And mm-hmm. like they very quickly established that new routine for him. But yeah, none of it it was it was sort of two different types of boredom. Like yeah, definitely. There was lack mm-hmm. of activity and then just routine activity mm-hmm. um, in the two halves. I um, think that's a really good part. People mention boredom all the time. I mean that's and I think that's very temporal as well, the way that you structure time and fill empty time, which is obviously in the first time where there is that long periods of boredom, but you have, you're filling it with drugs. So it doesn't, there's not that same sense of emptiness that needs to be kind of conquered. Where I think that's why people struggle sometimes with that routine of methadone, which is it's it's just, there's nothing really to fill that empty time in between your structured activities. It's just boring. Yeah. Um, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. What else? But yeah, I thought they did a lot of the, like I was saying, I thought they did, they had some really interesting, like very small details, which again, why I, I like the film, which is that it, there was a kind of like close attention to to detail, which yeah, kind, of kind of rang true. Um, just with the actual, like the drug use itself. So like very structured, like we were saying, there was a lot of logic and superstition that were kind of jarring against each other, which was really interesting. Um, yeah. This kind of, that you know, the hat on the bed, the hexes, the things like that, which were all kind of, embedded into their their psyche the way that they did things yeah i couldn't figure out what that was getting at what what was that to do with the i think it was an interesting well it obviously drove the characters into new action within the film but i think Hmm. from reading and from researching as well that there's just (laughs) a particular culture that lends itself to this kind of logic and superstition way of structuring it but I, i'm not sure i think but yeah. i thought it was interesting there were other things that were just specific to drug use like the way that they were as you see in the beginning when they drew back some blood into the syringe mm. oh yeah aspirates mm. <clears throat> very kind of common almost ritualistic kind of practice which is called um booting and jacking where you there's this idea that it will give you more pleasure if you draw blood back and it kind of gets mixed with the drugs and then you inject it again it kind of gives you a new rush that's um, really interesting because mm. I, I think it must come from just finding a vein. Yeah, and you know that you're injecting directly into a vein in that case. Like medically, yeah. people do mm. that, right? 
but it's a way of guaranteeing that the hit go like it goes straight into your bloodstream, mm-hmm. so you'll get the hit immediately. <laughs> so that's yeah. interesting that there's there is like logical scientific reason for doing that, mm-hmm. but there's a kind of mythology attached yeah. to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's pre-mixing with your blood somehow that's improving the hit or yeah. something. That's funny. <laughs> and I guess we we get this with a lot of uh, superstitions, right? That they there's kind of some reason for them that they've started like not walk not walking under a ladder. Some people are really particular about yes. not walking under <clears throat> ladders because it's bad luck. But actually, there's loads of good reasons not to walk under ladders, like a high chance of some kind of accident happening. Yeah. Your best steering clear of them. That, that sort of seems to make sense somehow. Mm. And I think the dog thing made sense in context in this film because it's, you know, a path straight to your door. Mm-hmm. And so the, oh, yeah, dogs are bad luck is obviously nonsense, but it's maybe not sensible to have a dog. Mm. And yeah, that exactly. situation. Mm-hmm. There's That's this come from somewhere. Logic. But then mm. the hat thing, I really didn't. I couldn't rationalize it at all. I couldn't work out where that came from. Yeah, I couldn't get that. Hmm. Is that a saying at all, or is that specific to this film? I never, I didn't look it up. I've, I've never, never heard of a hat on a bed. Hat on a bed. Hmm. There's a there's a saying wherever I lay my hat, that's my home or something. Oh, no, it's apparently I've just googled it. A myth. It's a well-known myth that it suggests that somebody's died. Historically, oh. during some funerals, a hat was placed over the closed portion of the casket near the feet of the deceased. Right. So it has oh. a connotation of the casket, which was said to evoke the dead person's spirit. There we go. Mm. I see. That makes sense. So I, uh, yeah, I get. It. Yeah, so there is logic. We just, didn't, mm-hmm. I just didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Mm. I suppose we could bring this back to. Uh, Back to St Andrews, right? We have um, we have a, a monument to a, a martyr in front of St Salvador's Chapel. These these initials PH, where Patrick Hamilton was was burned to death. I, I guess you can kind of see why you wouldn't want mm-hmm. to step on that because that's a you know, quite a either disrespectful or just a, a grim and chilling thing to do to walk over the place where someone was uh, was put to death in such a horrible way. And eventually that has turned into, uh, oh, it's bad luck. If you step on that, you'll never graduate or whatever. Hmm. Yeah, because I suppose the connection to Patrick Hamilton's lost now. But there's a a respect around that piece of ground. Hmm. And you kind of have to give people a reason that they can connect with. Yeah, which I'm sure has just come up naturally at some point. Yeah. but yeah, I, I guess that's another instance of how this can happen. <laughs> I was actually, I was talking to one of my old students the other day. Um, we just met up for a coffee um, and a catch up. And she was saying how she was, they'd been discussing amongst their friends that they were kind of the last people in in the four years, in the, you know, that four frame, frame of the degree time frame that were going to be graduating mm-hmm. out. And that after that, because of the pandemic, had severed these traditions. And like, there was going to be no one to pass them on now. Through oh, academic families and because of this, all the people have had to be at home and not received these traditions. Mm. I mean, it's very overdramatic because I think they will outlast a bump like that. But. Well, it's worth thinking, isn't it? Because yeah. well, that, that will be kind of two years straight mm-hmm. that a lot of these traditions haven't happened. Yeah, but I guess with, with a, a broad population that f- covers four years, you'd think that that stuff could survive. Uh 
No, it's a funny one, though. Yeah. It is an academic generation, though, isn't it? Yeah. Well, people who started in first year will never have been kids, and they'll be starting their third year having to be parents. Yeah, they're supposed to be the parents, aren't they? Wow. Perhaps this is all a very good... uh, very good advertisement for uh, recording things using the written word <laughs> and preserving <laughs> traditions for generations to come so that uh, so that through a lack of structure, culture need not be lost. Oh, but you I think that's very some cheeky. Aspects of it. If you want to hear more about what we're discussing, <laughs> go ahead and listen to the episode on <laughs> the song capture. <laughs> which you will notice is twice as long as any of the other episodes <laughs> because it was such a good film it was a really good film yeah, but we not as good as Knives hours? Out uh, no, it was about an hour and 40 I think it was a long episode that <laughs> one mm-hmm. um, you're not going to win me over no <laughs> nor, nor would I hope I, to I have point. the record to show it yes <laughs> Um, sorry, so drugstore cowboy, yeah, that was interesting with the with the superstitions and stuff, and I guess that it's interesting. Yeah, I, mm. I had no idea that that drawing the blood out has superstition attached to it. Yeah, um, but that's there's interesting. more logic yeah. to it as well. I think where there's this idea that there will be residue left in the. I'm not entirely sure how this works. It's more of an American thing. Um, although people mm. do it over here, but I didn't hear this specific explanation, but it was in a book that I was reading mm. about America where they're like, it cleans out the residue of the of the drugs that they're apparently about leaving every tiny residue of the drugs gets flushed out that way. Um, okay. So, you know, so is, there Which is of course can't magic. be true. But no, no. Uh, yeah, almost like you're rinsing it with your mm-hmm. blood. Yeah. yeah. Weird. Yeah. But yeah, I thought something else that they missed that they didn't, that was interesting that they didn't really show was that a lot of people, they were, it was built into the rhythm of their lives that they would just take drugs when they got them, but there wasn't this kind of stress response of taking drugs. It wasn't okay. like we were really seeing, like I feel with Requiem for a Dream, every time something horrible happened, they would just instantly, and same in train spotting, everything, something horrible happens, they take drugs as a response, hmm. which I think is a very well-documented reason for taking drugs, which is that kind of what he was saying in the beginning of this narrative where he's like, it just takes all your stress away and you don't have to think about it and it just pushes these bad experiences which are born of trauma and this sort of poverty and things yeah. like that. But it was interesting that they didn't take drugs after Nadine died, which I thought was very oh, yeah. odd. But then it was contrasted with later when he was like, oh, you have to take, he was talking to the the woman at the methadone clinic saying you just need something to relieve the pressures of everyday life, like having to tie your shoes. <laughs> Fascinating. Yeah. We need to get out of this malaise, this boredom by taking these these drugs to alleviate it. And yet when someone actually dies, which is actually the, the drive for the rest of the film, no drugs. Yeah. So one thing I was trying to get here was I, I think I was finding it difficult to figure out when they were high and when they weren't. Because mm. I think a few of them had had this kind of disconnected, listless look to them yeah. the whole time. Um and particularly when they talked about driving and having a hole in the floor of the car mm. so that they could keep the drugs out the whole time they were driving unless the police came and then they could quickly stash them and get them back mm. out again as soon as the police were, had gone. And I, that made me think, wait, are they just high all the time? 
do, do people just mm. k- keep it up basically just take some as soon as they wake up and and keep it going so w- were they high throughout that whole scene um i think the, the thing with the car was just so that they could dispose of them in case they got searched they just had them handy to throw out oh i see because mm, like they were losses. just sort of picking up a handful at a time so that they could always get rid of that small amount. I see. Yeah, oh, I get it. Yeah, I think mm. I didn't follow that then. Yeah, so it's funny that they would they would miss that out because I remember that in Train Spotting. They made a, a real point of that. That they were always high? Uh, no, no, that they, um, that they, as you say, uh, would get high in response to something oh, yeah. that was difficult. Mm-hmm. There's even the one the one phrase in it that reminds me. I think they've gone to someone's funeral. Something tragic has happened. Just a baby. And they said, "So, yeah, is that it?" Yeah. They say, "So we took the immediate decision to get hooked on drugs again immediately, <laughs> um, <laughs> as soon as we possibly could." All oh, right, no, that's different. No, maybe I was that, just thinking about when oh, the baby dies and he says, "I did the only thing I could think of." I cooked. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's funny that they would miss that out. But, yeah, maybe they were trying to communicate something else. Well, he that was a real moment for him, wasn't it? That's when he, everything changed for him. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's what made him decide to go straight, right? Yeah. So I wonder if there was some... Because he talks about the stress and, like, describe, tying your shoelaces isn't, isn't a stressful thing to have to do. But it's mundane and monotonous, mm, mm-hmm. and maybe the drugs are an antidote to that. Yeah, um, I think that is what it was trying to say. Mm. This this isn't mundane. This is huge. cataclysmic. Mm. Yeah, and so you don't need them at that point. I don't yeah. know. I mm. wondered if it was maybe like you were saying that it's kind of mundane, but it's also designated in the kind of like things that you have to worry about when you're straight but whereas mm-hmm. someone dying of an overdose is so expected and so normalized and like there's, these are kind of traumas that are just continually happening that it's yeah. more normal whereas tying shoes is not normal but i don't know if that's what they were actually trying to get at i don't think so but mm. it was an interesting kind of juxtaposition i thought certainly he didn't seem to be shocked by the death did he no well that's yeah exactly mm-hmm. yeah what do you think fernando uh-huh. do you think I think I'm enjoying the film much more now that we're discussing it. <laughs> I am. Um... Oh, I love it when that happens. <laughs> yeah. I think there's a lot going on with it. I think it's, you know, there's interest. You can pick a, pick at it. I mean, it's obviously, I don't know if they meant that to happen, but I found it interesting to think about. Yeah. I mean, there was, yeah, there was definitely a lot to it. Just... Yeah, whether I enjoyed watching it is a different. Hmm. Um, but it wasn't as challenging as something like Requiem for a Dream. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't horror horrifying. On the whole, and I appreciated that that they weren't like deliberately tugging at our heartstrings, trying mm. to make us feel things. They were just you know giving a story. I, I think it was more empathetic that way. Hmm. I don't know. What do you guys think? Because I think the problem with Requiem for a Dream was that it was, it, it didn't lend itself to much empathy. Sorry, I've just, my pub, the pub landlord's on the roof of like a four-story huh. building. That's weird. Oh my God. Anyway, um, 
(laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it creates too much distance between you and the characters where you just can't possibly... There's just too much despair to really feel like it's it's in any way close to you. Whereas this one, I feel like these were just regular people that we could easily see how their lives worked and how they could end up in those situations. I don't know. Maybe not. Yeah. Yeah, So Requiem for a Dream was just a nightmare, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. And it was just things are terrible, no nuance. Whereas this was kind of, yeah, it felt more like a story about real people Mm. that have their ups and downs and they have good days and bad days and they can go straight or they can do more drugs yeah, and they can get a job or they can carry on robbing. And it, yeah, it felt, felt more like a rounded film. Mm. And yeah, I can see the, yeah, what you mean about, about empathy. Cause certainly Requiem for a Dream, you felt terrible for these poor people yeah. in this horrendous situation. Um, but this one, you, at least I felt more like, yeah, they're going to make a decision now and decide what to do next. And yeah. Hmm. And there was some, some humor as well, some lighthearted moments. Yes. Yeah, I enjoyed that as well. Do you think, was it moralizing? I think it did have a little bit of a moral thread, but certainly, again, that was where I would contrasted to Requiem of the Dream, which was very obviously uh, hugely moralizing. But. Hmm. I I don't think it was. It it didn't seem to be saying drugs are great, you should rob mm-hmm. uh pharmacies, but at the same time it it certainly wasn't saying um you'd have to be an idiot to do drugs and yeah, you're you're a bad mm-hmm. person if you take them. And I think that was good. Mm-hmm. Would you say it was moralizing? I no, I don't think it was. I think for a while they were kind of going with like there's there's salvation and virtue in recovery. Yeah, but they didn't really contrast that with like when we saw Diane. She was she was she wasn't in the pits of despair. Yeah, she was just living her life like in the way that she had to and could, and it wasn't overly demoralizing or. Yeah, that's right. Which I liked. Um, and I think oh. it had this kind of focus on the system as well that, you know, it focused a bit on the wider context, just a little bit, just at the end when we're seeing the kind of the, the questions that he has to answer to get part of the methadone. You can just imagine so many people being asked those questions of about their history and their, you know, you see these patterns developing and him kind of rebelling a bit against that, but it's kind of very... We're in a different context altogether now. And then with the priest as well, I thought that was interesting where he was talking about how right-wingers will use drug hysteria to like create this carceral system of like where you're just constantly putting people in jail for drug offences and things like that. So Yeah, now that, I wasn't sure about that bit. It, it seemed so out of place in the film. Mm. The film was so much showing us rather than telling us things. Yeah, that was very and, soapboxy. <laughs> yeah, it almost felt like yeah. the the foreword where, you know, the the message from the director. And it it was a yeah, it seemed, seemed kind of bizarre. Mm. And he I mean he was quite right in a way and it was it made sense showing it in a sort of context of look in the 1930s or whatever drugs weren't seen in this same way that yeah. Yeah, narcotics haven't always been 
uh, this crazy bugbear that everyone should be terrified mm -hmm. of. And that was some useful context. But particularly saying, oh, I predict that in 10 years, shortly after I've died, there will be a right-wing thing and they're going to crack down on all of the drug users. Mm. And it's like, well, yeah, of course you know this now. You made the film <laughs> yeah. in 1989. You just had the Reagan administration. Don't act like yeah. you're predicting something where you're just saying, oh, this happened. Um, yeah, mm. it, it really stood out. And I think they could have been a bit more subtle or a bit more intelligent in exploring that. I, I was confused by the priest a bit. I actually have in brackets at one point, what's the point of the priest? Because he just didn't really fit in mm. my kind of structure. And then when he visited him and he went on to say that, I was like, oh, I guess he's just the mouthpiece for this view. Which is right mm. and belongs there. But I think you're right. It just didn't... It is telling us, isn't it? Yeah. But you know that old saying, tell, don't show. <laughs> <laughs> exactly uh, and yeah. e even all of that I think would have been quite good and he, it made sense having him there as yeah th this is another type of drug user and yeah. who has a completely different outlook and has a different history and that, that mm. was worth having in there and if he had even told the story about having the, the guards help him shoot up in jail that would have been interesting, and mm. they just went a bit far with it. Uh, but no, it was, it was good. It was odd having him almost... One of the last things we see is him looking out of the window, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. As if he... You know, as if we're meant to think, what, what do we think of him? He's important somehow. But yeah, I'm not quite sure what that was about. Are we supposed to blame him a bit? Is he turning yeah. his back on this situation that he's caused because he was part of uh, Bob getting involved as a young kid. Yeah, and Bob could have ratted him out to mm. the attackers and didn't, but it's not quite the same as being, mm. yeah, Maybe being responsible. Maybe he was Jesus. Ah, here we go. <laughs> Similar to time. Jesus. <laughs> He's oh, looking he was down from on high. Pilot, wasn't he? <laughs> Bob was Jesus. <laughs> sacrificed. Oh yeah, he oh, sacrificed yeah. himself. Mm -hmm. Well, I no, think so that Pontius Pilot was the. <laughs> what was that? The priest is God then, because he's looking down on his son being sacrificed. Oh, there we are. Do we have a sim are we is this symbolism time? Should we did we not have a thing yeah, for let's go. Fernando? Oh, yes. ah! oh fantastic. Oh I love it so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've got some symbolism. Right, so the, the priest is God or possibly the crowd that yelled free Barabbas. <laughs> Um, Pontius Pilate is the weedy little guy that sells some speed mm -hmm. and beats him up. Yep. Uh, Bob is Jesus, which makes it's Bob's Diane. girlfriend Mary Magdalene. Yep. Yeah, we're getting there. So we we are to hope that he'll be out of hospital in three days and he'll be fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, he very much did did die for the sins of. Uh, of Father Murphy. <laughs> it all Didn't comes be. back to Jesus, doesn't it? Every bloody time. 
Yeah. Oh, it's the greatest story ever told, Laura. So, but he's not God then. He's all of us. The priest is all of us. And oh. Bob is dying for his sins. Yeah. Oh, my That's God. True. Yes. We are all the priests. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you had it so easy when he was younger. Mm. <laughs> yep. Wow. It works. <laughs> not that it's moralizing or anything. <laughs> 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 what other symbolism have we got? Symbolism. How good was the sheriff's convention? Yeah, nice. <laughs> that was hilarious. <laughs> Just these cars everywhere. There's, yeah, it almost seemed like yeah that for for that to be how he starts going straight, he had to take such a big leap, such a big risk of smuggling a dead body out of mm-hmm. a motel room surrounded by a hundred sheriffs all in their cars. <laughs> yes. Um, it, that could, could not have been a, a more big high risk yeah. getting rid of a body. <laughs> and he took the leap and he did it and he made it through. Uh, that was pretty cool. <laughs> um, oh, the, so the music throughout, we kept having this song, The Israelites, didn't mm. we? Ooh. Yes, we did. Is that related? Sounds it. I didn't notice. It was usually when they were escaping something, wasn't it? When they were going on the road, when he was going back to like to go on the method on. Oh, uh, so program. they were the Israelites. <laughs> and he was Moses. He was Moses, oh. yeah. Leading them through. And even, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And doing so much for them and helping them, mm-hmm. um, like, get rid of the body and everything. Um, yeah, t- teaching them how to rob the stores and stuff. And and yet, he was the one who, that they had all this success afterwards where they were managing, but he, he had gone. And that is, Moses saw the promised land from the top of a mountain, didn't he? But died before the Israelites wow. got there. Oh yes, and that's him. He he left before yeah. they could. He did so much for them, but he never made it himself. Oh, and there was a lot of wandering in the desert, wasn't there? Yeah, was that- just going through different died? hotel rooms and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah he's, he's not still alive. <laughs> <laughs> I don't yeah, think so I he led his people out of Egypt, and I don't know what Egypt was he in this case. Didn't get to the promised but- land. No, Moses didn't get to the well, promised land. Well, that's a nice thank you, isn't it? No. Yeah, well. God was kind of a dick. <laughs> yeah. Merciless, yes. Well, isn't that right, kind of beautiful, though? Them... No, it's not beautiful at all. <laughs> oh. You work your whole life for something, you yeah. see it, and then you just fall off the rock or whatever. Yeah, but happens. he was doing it for his people, wasn't he? And it, he died... As soon as he, like, just after he knew that his people had made it and that he was safe, that that was his his goal. That was what he wanted to do. I I think we're we're supposed to believe that Moses would have died happy, just as Bob left the (laughs) drug world behind him happy. Uh, Wait, do we think that Bob died? I don't. I don't know. You do. I do. I don't think it's a coincidence that the ambulance was a repurposed hearse. Oh. 
Yeah. Okay. It didn't I couldn't figure didn't, that out. Yeah. It looked a lot like a hairstyle. What me. was his last what were his last words? He was saying about how he was gonna live. But yeah, you're right, what a cruel irony. Hmm. It reminded me of uh obviously for, for that very reason, the end of In Bruges. Hmm. Where we don't know whether he's gonna live or die. I don't remember that. Oh, sorry, I spoiled <laughs> the ending of In Bruges. That's uh, right, I've, I have seen it. One thing that was quite a nice touch was we saw him going into the ambulance at the very start. Mm-hmm. And to me, it was very clear that he was in there because of an overdose yeah. or something yes. to do with drugs. I also thought that. And the result was you know, only very tangentially related to drugs. And it was after he'd been cleaned for however long. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, I thought that was a really good touch. Hmm. Really diverted our expectations. Yes, that, I think that's why I like the film. It constantly diverted my expectations. Yeah, <clears throat> it was a good film, wasn't it? I thought it was. It was. Yes. <laughs> Thank you very much for this discussion. Yeah. Uh, just on the car- on the while we're still on the kind of symbolism, right? Hmm. Um, I think the characters were kind of I, I liked them, but they were kind of stereotypes of. Mm-hmm. members of like a gang of drug users which is that we have yeah. bob the ingenious but callous and manipulative charismatic at least in the beginning guy mm-hmm. and then the other guy is just this classic kind of dope fiend stoner shaggy you know shaggy yeah he's shaggy <laughs> oh no don't let listen on bob is fred <laughs> oh, oh this God, is why they've works. got a thing about dogs oh <laughs> shit totally works <laughs> oh wait sorry so they were all just high the whole time and scooby did <laughs> sorry go on oh. <laughs> diane is obviously daphne and then King <laughs> yeah let's finish it off she's the smart one yeah <laughs> loser that can't take drugs yeah and Father Murphy is the old guy at the start that warns them not to yeah. go down that road. Oh, yeah. And then turns out to be the cops in disguise the whole time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Anyway. Uh, stereotypes. So you, yeah. you think those those are, are clear stereotypes that are well established? Maybe a little bit. I'm not sure. But then with the women, we have Diane, who's this kind of more hardened drug user, Mm. Um, and I think there's kind of a whore Madonna thing going on with her and with Nadine, which is that Nadine's oh, okay. this innocent, sweet girl. She doesn't know how to use drugs. Like we never really see her in a sexual way. Whereas Diane, we, ca- you know, she gets caught by the police in her bra and she's trying to like instigate this sort of sex with with Bob um, mm. a couple of times. Especially when they get caught by the police, Diane's in her bra and Nadine is it- wrapped in this very sort of colourful childlike blanket. Um, mm. <clears throat> But on the other side, we've got this kind of masculinity, femininity. Sorry, I went really into analytical when I was watching this. Um, when they've got the story of the Bob, Dog was the one who was like, uh, Bob was the one who was like, it, it led the police to our home. That's why we can't have a dog. And Diane was the one who was like crying because the dog was put down. So we've got this very interesting kind of different perspectives on why they shouldn't have a dog. Diane was mm. upset that it was put down. I just think it's interesting. There. Yes, those are the... But I think they all have, they did work some nuance and depth into their characters and then they kind of explored that as they, as the film went on. 
Yeah, okay. So while we're talking about the characters, why, why was Nadine with them? Because as far as I could tell, she wasn't an addict. Mm. And I, I, yeah, I just didn't see why she was tagging along with them. I mean, I think it kind of makes sense. Like she was, she was obviously very young. I think she was meant to be a, a teenager who just mm. kind of was in this romantic relationship with, is it Rick? I can't remember. Rick. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then I think, it, you know, they lived kind of like these cool outlaws rebelling against dominant society. I could see how you might get a bit wrapped up in that. Yeah, very... so she just thought it was glamorous or something. To maybe, uh, yeah. I guess she. Well, they said that they picked her up as she was a cashier in a drugstore, so maybe it was the boredom <laughs> again. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, maybe easily influenced and just sort of goes along with mm. whatever. Huh. So hmm. I have something that might be a bit of symbolism, but I'm oh, not yeah. sure. So when he's burying Nadine. He's got dirt on his hands. They kept rubbing at it, rubbing at the dirt, and it reminded me a lot of Macbeth trying to mm. wash the blood off. Oh, that's brilliant. Out damn spot. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And I, d- I, I don't know what it was, but I feel like there's, there could be something. Um, Definitely. With his guilt and his sense of responsibility and being weighed down by that. Yeah. Um, that uh, did occur to me, but they didn't do much with it. It was just a hint, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. Nice. I like that. See, it occurred to you now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, it occurred to me that. as well. I, yeah, I totally also, thought that. Also, all of that interesting stuff Laura said earlier, <laughs> I've got that written down here. <laughs> I was going to say that. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, nice. The last thing I've written in my notes, I think, is that they did some nice close-ups. Like a kind of motif was those close-ups. So that in the beginning we had the heroine and then later on there was a close-up shot of the tea brewing. And I thought the crowbar was then contrasted with this panning across of the tools in his new job as well. So there was these kind of yeah. dualisms. Oh, that's nice. The tea bag annoyed me because it was already tea and then he put a tea bag in it. <laughs> So, no. How hard would it have been to just have a cup of water that you put a tea bag in? <laughs> no but what if you want to enjoy like the the mixture of the two teas? Well, mm. you should put both tea bags in at the start. Uh, different teas need different times to brew, though, don't they? No. <laughs> take take them out at different times. Maybe he maybe it's the same bag and it just wasn't uh, wasn't Not strong enough. No, it was enough. a dry bag. Oh right. <laughs> maybe he likes his tea really strong, still a touch of the addict in him. We'll put two tea bags Wanted in that at the hit start. of caffeine. It's just Americans not knowing how to make tea. That's yeah. true. It's mm. like putting toast in a toaster. Like what are you doing? <laughs> Ruined the film. <laughs> It's You're pretty right, unwatchable after that, yeah. to be fair. <laughs> oh, it's put me in a really bad mood. I'd forgotten about that. Oh, oh no. Don't worry, we'll make you a cup of tea afterwards with one tea bag. We'll do it all properly. Are you going to put it in after it's already tea? Because no. that's how you make tea. Hot water, tea bag, tea bag comes out, dash of milk, oh. give it to you. Pop some okay. toast in the toaster while you're at it. Yeah. 
I do that most days, but. Who <laughs> uh. <clears throat> was your favorite character, Fernando? Yeah, my favorite character was definitely um, Bob, Matt Dillon. Um, I thought he was just incredibly handsome. I was like, I Me cannot too. believe mm, that very handsome. people that are this handsome exist. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I think, to be honest, that is probably what made the film enjoyable for me. <laughs> <laughs> I kept thinking he looked like uh, Xander from Buffy the Vampire definitely. Slayer. I thought he looked like a... Looked like him, but his mannerisms were those of Jesse from uh, Gilmore Girls. <laughs> yeah, okay. It's like a perfect blend of those two. Not bad. I'm surprised that young Matt Dillon wasn't in more things. I mean, maybe he was, but I've never really, se- I've never seen him before. I know that he was in Crash when he was older, and I can't say he made a very good impression. Ah. <laughs> 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 uh. Yeah, he's a good-looking lad. Mm. Alas. Mm. Yeah. What was At the last film? At least we've got this film. Mm. The last film was about drums. Uh, Whiplash. Oh, of course, yes. What was the link? The link. Ooh. Addiction. Addiction. That's to, an obvious one. To drumming. <laughs> mm. um, both had sort of... Uh, confused endings that I wasn't sure what they were trying to say. <laughs> There's the link. Michael was confused. <laughs> Nailed it. No, we can't use the same one for every film. <laughs> <laughs> this is a hard one, isn't it? I don't really know. They both kind of stopped doing what they were doing and um, the drummer stopped kind of drumming and drug users stopped using drugs. Yeah. Oh yeah, kind of, yeah, almost actually, didn't they? We we had a period we had a lull, a period of lull before the forces of his life re-entered and took over again. There we go. Oh perfect. Hmm. Yeah, it's the same film. Mm. <laughs> 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 Not done. So I have I have two moments where I thought the film is going to go slightly differently, and I wonder if I can propose my alternatives Great. for those sections. Amazing. So, so they're they're having this lull in robberies because of the hex. Oh, yeah. Thirty day lull, yeah. And that's exactly when there's a stakeout on them. What if they just hadn't robbed anywhere for the thirty days, and then the police had stopped watching them because they were clearly not <laughs> doing anything, and he hadn't just dicked about with like getting the guy shot and stuff. Like, yeah. They could just have not had the police watching them if they just left it for those 30 days. Um, That'd be the smart move. It wouldn't have been much of a film because they wouldn't have had to go travelling and stuff. But um, that would be one alternative. And I thought I was being really smart at the end when what, not needing Diane came back and she said, this is a gift from me and Rick and everyone and she got him to confess to the murder or to hiding Nadine's body I thought she was bugged because the cop had been in there the cop had been in the room oh my god and I thought when he took the bag to the priest and they opened it that's what was going to be in it 
Oh, or, or Jesus. That that's why she wouldn't take her jacket off. Or so, I, I, There were just so many hints that there was something going on there. And then wow. it totally wasn't. Oh, she, that's an amazing conclusion. Well, that would have been very upsetting. It would have been. But, yeah, genius. Mm. Yeah, instead she was just trying to ruin his rehabilitation. Yeah. So, you know. I think that made that sense for her. Yeah, probably. She, she was, she was doing a good thing. She felt very betrayed by his leaving her to the life that they'd been in together for so long. I, I can see why she was hurt by him. Like, mm. she couldn't get out of that life and he was just leaving. Yeah. Those are my two alternative versions. Yeah, brilliant way to wrap up. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Anything else? I think I've said everything. That's all my thoughts. What Fernando? have we not said? Yeah, what have we not said? No, that's that's the lot for me. Cool. Should I play the music? Like Fernando, yes. did you say? Okay. Three, two. One paper. Scissors. Yes. Oh. Well, I've got a film picked out <gasps> right now. Excellent. Um, <laughs> which is one that's been discussed already. Um, it is uh, Death on the Nile <gasps> with Maggie Smith and <laughs> yeah. Angela Lansbury and whoever the hell else you said. Fantastic. Oh, brilliant. Death on the Nile. Betty Death. Davis. Oh, Betty no. Davis. Oh, oh my man. God. Cannot wait. Bring it on. <laughs>